Good morning. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original Secretaries of Defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are here when it comes to defending our families and our communities. And we're so happy to have you with us today. I am your host, Delane England, and we have a lot to cover. We have a lot of things that we need to discuss, as you are quite aware. There are a lot of things happening, and we're living in an upside-down world. Today, I have a great guest with me. Her name, a great Liberty Mom. Her name is Lisa Logan. And Lisa, we are so happy to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Delaine. I'm really appreciative. Lisa has been on the front lines, and today we're going to be talking about school choice and education. I don't know anybody who doesn't support choice in education that is a parent or that is in the community. I think the ones who don't really support that are the people who are in charge of and have control over the system that we have, the government system. They don't want other control. They want want parental choice. They want to have total control. But other than that, I I, I just don't think there's a parent who doesn't think that they believe in um, parental choice. And... Mm-hmm. And and Lisa, you have done so much great research on this because everyone thinks that sounds wonderful. It sounds like a great idea. We all support the principle, but there are a lot of issues that have come up with some of the different ways of promoting school choice, parental choice in education. And so Lisa, real quickly, how how did you get involved in this issue? Kind of by surprise, um, I actually have been, <laughs> um, when I first heard about school choice, it was actually, um, you know, for the longest mom time, I was one of those moms who was kind of asleep right at the wheel, uh, didn't really know what was going on in education, and then when I started researching transformative social-emotional learning and how dangerous it was for our kids, I was kind of thrust into this education and political atmosphere. Uh, so I was flown out to D.C. last year to speak for FreedomWorks, and um, one of the speakers was talking about uh, school choice. And it all sounded all fine and good. And then when we started to try to pass uh, the Hope Scholarship Bill here in Utah, uh, beginning of this legislative session, or this last one, I started looking into it more. Uh, and what sounded like a really great idea, right, being able to um, take tax dollars, right, that people already pay into this system, um, and which, granted, I will give these school choice advocates is a system that's broken at the moment, uh, and I can see people's frustration. They're like, we pay into this system, yet we have to then pay double to send our child to an alternative um, education environment, like homeschool or private school. So... I looked into it further, though, in in the bill language itself, and I started kind of seeing some red flags, uh, especially because of my background in 
researching social emotional learning and knowing how that has infiltrated the entire system, I could see that this language was not going to protect parents from the indoctrination that they are fleeing from in the public schools. And in fact, would further entrench uh, government control through strings attached to this money into previously protected education options like homeschool and private school. So uh, this is kind of how I got involved is I just started sounding the, you know, it was like Paul Revere trying to warn everybody uh, about exactly. this money. And um, here I am. <laughs> A modern day Sybil Luddington. You are one of the minute women that are sounding the alarm. And it's so true. You're so right. Because if you think about it, I just want people to think and ask themselves, this this monopoly that has complete, com total control over our education system, it is not local control. It is designed even outside of the United States, frankly. But this, this system that has complete control over the education system, those that have that power, are they going to allow a law to just usurp that power and take it away from, from them? Are they going to sit by and just allow, okay, we'll let parents decide opt out of the system. They have been very, very brazen and very upfront. They have been very overt about the fact that every single child must be enrolled. Every child must be vaccinated. Every child must be masked. Every child must receive critical race theory, social emotional learning. Every child has to be on their online testing. They want every single child to conform. It doesn't work when you have people opting out. That isn't part of their system. So I just want people to kind of think, is it possible to, to kind of create a system that they are going, it, that, of course, we think it's our money. We think it's our tax dollars, but they think it's their money. And they've been, again, very upfront about that. How can we create a system where we can take that money and control it? I just, we really have to ask ourselves what we're going to have to do to make that happen. We're trying to fix a system that is not our system. We're trying to fix someone else's system. Right, and this and this is true. I mean, this happened in California. Um, I have a friend who moved here from there, and she homeschooled her parent, her kids in Babylon, uh, which is just crazy to me. And she never took the money, but she started seeing uh, commercials on the television, and she's like, "Why would California, of all places, um, be telling?" homeschool parents take that we just want to help you with your homeschool curriculum and affording your homeschool curriculum and sh and she said that her friends who took the money um it started out as oh your kid needs to take this assessment mm -hmm. um and we saw this bill this bill language as well we we had assessments built into that bill language um and then what people don't realize is when you when you start talking about assessment you talk talking about data collection on your kid um, and on your family at that point, right? Uh, then what you assess, you have to teach. So next they saw curriculum come in um, that they were supposed to teach so that the kids could then take the assessment. And what you teach has to be reflected in the standards. So, you know, they eventually saw the standards change so much that homeschooling their child no longer looked like the educational freedom that they had thought it was um, and then they had to send their kid, I think, three times a year to a facility that they didn't even, weren't able to see the testing materials. Uh, and so a lot of parents ended up um, sending, eventually sending their kids to public school because there was no difference. 
And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the homeschooling pods, she said, in her area were completely decimated as a result of this, uh, them taking the money and then the infiltration that happened afterwards. So I think parents unknowingly think this is going to be a great idea, but they don't think about the long-term consequences of doing that. That is such a great story, Lisa. And what happens in California does not stay in California. It moves all over the country, and we know that for sure. And that is a perfect place to kind of see what is coming. And, you know, this is exactly what happened with Common Core. Exactly. Like, oh, no, we're not going to force it on you. You just get to choose it if you want to. But it started out with the assessments. Whatever you test, you have to teach to that. I'm an educator. You're not going to, we don't set our students up for failure. You don't, well, this is what you're going to be tested on, but we're going to teach you something different. You want to prepare them so they do well. And, of course, you nailed it. The data mining is what the assessments are really about and the social-emotional learning that happens through the testing itself as well as through the curriculum. So it sounds, it's such a, a wonderful carrot. We're going to help you. We're, get, we're here to serve you and help you. And then their clutches are in you, and you can't get, you can't escape them. You can't get them free of them. Okay, so what what do you have so you've 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 kind of talked about hope scholarship but this year they're going to come out with a new choice it's going to have a different name on it do you think it's going to be different do you think this will be a bill that will in utah that will be different do you think it will allow us to have school choice without those ties and connections Unfortunately not, um, and that's, that's a devastating thing to tell parents, right, who feel trapped in this system, but unfortunately, so however they write the bill language, uh, even Arizona, who was able to pass an amendment that took out the assessment, it still doesn't deal with the fact that these state boards of ed, there has to be, with public money comes public accountability. And so there has to be someone over this scholarship program. Um, in Utah's case, it would be the Utah State Board of Education. Now, uh, when charter schools came into being, it was assumed that they would have autonomy. Uh, they were going to kind of be separate from the USBE, have their own rules and regulations. Uh, but And they were so confident of that, that when the USBE kind of started to step on their toes, they actually took them to court. Uh, the USBA and the USBE went to court, um, and it went all the way up to the Utah Supreme Court. And the Utah Supreme Court ruled because our state constitution in Article 10, Sections 2 and 3, basically says that the USBE has general control and supervision over education. Um, and public education, remember, is anything that we use public dollars for. Uh, they ruled that the USBE had plenary power over education. So if we were unable to keep uh, regulatory control out of charter schools, how do they think that we're going to keep it out of these other educational freedom options um, if that public money is involved? So um, I think that coupled with the fact that our state, um, our state people said, well, it's not federal dollars, it's not federal regulations, it's, you know, um, it's, it's coming from the state. But what I think people don't understand is that our state, because of the Every Student Succeeds Act that was passed in 2015, has to report back to the federal government 
on all of these standards that we set, for instance, for social emotional learning and everything else that is connected to critical race theory and comprehensive sexuality education, everything, we have to report back because we take federal Title I funds. So nothing in the HOPE scholarship or whatever they're going to call it this time, empowerment accounts, whatever they want to call it, is not going to change those unfortunate facts. So in, until we fix the problems with the system and the federal government intrusion into our state educational system, uh, unfortunately, there is no way we're going to be able to write this bill for it to be different. Lisa, I'm just so impressed you're young. You're a young mom. How many children do you have? I have three. Three children. And you were, you know, you're, by your own admission, not that long ago, you were really just like going along and really kind of asleep and not aware of what was happening. And yet, look at how quickly you got involved, got up to speed, and you're involved in making such a difference. And you're so wise because not if I'm kind of surprised not everyone can see because we don't really, we want there to be a resolution. We want a solution. And it seems so reasonable because it is reasonable that if you don't put your child in public education, you should at least get a portion of that tax money back to educate your child. The problem is that they do control the system. And then, of course, I don't have any children in, in public education. And I, I still pay all those expenses and pay those taxes because it does, the, the, the mentality is it serves our society. We want all children to be educated. We don't only want the wealthy or the middle class to be educated. We want everyone to be educated. That's how you get people out of being low income is to, is to educate them. That is one of the biggest blessings that we can have is education. And so I'm just so impressed of, of how wise you are and what a great job you've done in not only researching this but articulating exactly what is happening. You nailed it on charter schools. Charter schools were designed by admission to eliminate public or private schools. They said if we can get people to take their kids out of private school they have to pay for and put them in what they feel is a private school that they don't have to pay for, we will end private schools. And they've been, you know, not they haven't ended them, but very successful in eliminating a lot of private schools because they literally turned themselves into charter schools because they thought that they would have control. But as you said, the federal government has all this power and control. So what do you think about working on getting the state school board to stop taking funds from the federal government? What do you think of that idea? I think that would be a fantastic idea. Um, and I believe it's only 9%. Uh, yes, that's crazy. right. Which is, and, and I think actually with, with all of the red tape and things that we have to do to to make that nine percent, I think it would even be less than that. And so, it's actually it's actually a wash. We've actually found, and this wasn't this year, but a couple of years ago, we did some research to see how much it cost us to comply to get that nine percent, and it was greater than nine percent. Wow. So it actually costs us more money to get the nine percent than we actually get. So we literally could cut the ties if we wanted to, and not have it cost us anything, or like you said, very little. Right, because I think the point is we do care about kids that are stuck in the system, whether whatever they wherever they fall in the socioeconomic, you know, uh, scale. Like we we care about these kids and we don't want them to feel stuck in these parents. There there is a sense of desperation um, because of what's happening. It's so drastic in our education system and it's truly disgusting some of the stuff that we're seeing coming through the schools. 
Um, but we cannot act out of desperation. And I think now is the time we pull together as a community and come up with creative solutions to a lot of these problems, right? We can create co-ops. We can, um, you know, there's great people, you know, basically being teach basically homeschooling other people's children, right? Um, they take on 10 students, 11 students. We need to start raising those uh, people up in our community and getting the word out, helping them to advertise, because uh, there are solutions out there that do not involve government strings. And so we need to start talking about those solutions and how we can move those to the forefront. Lisa, you're so right. Then that is such a great idea. I actually did that with my when my older children went to private school. My one son, we had some financial issues, so it didn't. It wasn't really cost of fit. It wasn't conducive. We just couldn't afford it. And so, to homeschooling one child, it was fun for me, but really rough for him because he's very social. And so, what we did is we literally created a co-op. We had. Um, 10 families involved. So each family, each set of parents took on a half a day or a couple of hours, two hours on Monday morning, two hours Monday, you know, afterwards. So every family only had to do once a week for two hours. And then they went to school for four hours. And, and really homeschools usually only do school for three hours, but then they had the social aspect Plus, parents did not feel bogged down at all because you had your expertise, you had what you taught, you had what you brought to the table once a week for a couple of hours. You got to know all the children. They got to be very good friends, so they had some social. And then in this day and age, they can also, if you feel comfortable, which I'm not sure we do anymore, but um, we could put our children, which is a law in the state of Utah and many other states, you can have your children take whatever classes you want them to take at the public school because you are paying for it and you are a contributing a contributing member of society so your child can go to the public school for elective classes or ceramic or choir or basketball or whatever you feel or there's something that 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 need can be filled there because it is hard to do choir in a small group but very fun and something that they can still participate in so I love your ideas and your solutions and we can think outside of the box and create a lot of solutions to, to give us alternatives where we don't have those ties and connections and strings attached. Um, another thing that I just wanted to mention is that I just want to ask people, how long do you spend after your children get home from school? How long do you spend doing homework? Usually three to four hours. My own grandchildren easily spend three to four hours after. It only takes three hours to homeschool. So if you just homeschool in the morning, you're done. You're done for the day and you've got it made. And so you don't have to spend all day at school and then spend your evening having the system continue to control your family and your time. So right. homeschooling and, and is an option. For sure. And and I think, too, you know, you're sharing the cost of the curriculum materials, right, as as mm -hmm community members. I think the other thing that people think of, it's going to be this great cost-saving thing, these, these empowerment accounts or savings accounts. Uh, but what we also forget to realize is that when we saw subsidies happen in higher ed, for, for instance, the, the cost of higher ed went up. 
And so a lot of these people think, well, I'll be able to afford that private school um, in my community, but I can guarantee you that the infusion of this public money into the system will actually raise the prices um, in the public, uh, or sorry, private school sector. You're absolutely right. You're right, Lisa, that's a very good point. Plus, many private schools have already come out and said, if they pass these these issues, these bills, or this Hope Scholarship, or there's been different ones throughout the years, that they will not take that money because they will not be allowed. They will not allow themselves to be tied, and so they won't take the money. Because if a parent takes the money and they use the money to pay the school, that's fine, but they have to know that they will not be tied down to these. And so that those are the only private schools that have survived are the ones who said they won't take the money. So... You, that is a really important consideration and a very good point. And right, they won't because it written into, for instance, the one that we tried to pass this past January was an, a federal anti-discrimination law. So that's going to affect their hiring practices. Um, and many religious schools have standards um, about the religious affiliation, et cetera, of their um, teachers that they hire. So. Exactly, and they, they have a right as a private entity and a private business to hire who they feel is going to fulfill that their their mission at their school in the best way, and they don't necessarily want woke teachers. They want teachers that align with their, with their mission and what they want to accomplish. Okay, Lisa, what can parents do? What, what else do you see that parents can do to get involved? You got involved. How can other parents get involved? I think start coming to these uh, community events. Uh, you know, people are going together to, I know that we the people are having events. I know that other organizations are. Um, meet other families who are also liberty-minded. Um, buddy up. Go to the school board meetings. Uh, canvas for candidates that you believe that are going to protect that religious um, and are everything, like all of our constitutional freedoms and rights. So I think that that's kind of the way that parents can get involved, uh, start joining organizations and, and meeting other people that also believe the same as you. And first and, for, I mean, first and foremost, above all, make sure your family unit is tight. You know, the reason they're able to get to a lot of these kids is because they don't have tight relationships with their family. And I think that is the first and foremost important thing you can do. Well, wow, that is excellent advice, Lisa. That is that is our stewardship as parents. No one else can fulfill that role. Others are trying to. No one else can properly fulfill that role, and that is our job, and that is the most important thing we can do. Before we go out and try to fix the world, let's make sure that our families are intact and we have those close relationships. That is a true Liberty Mom. Lisa, you have just been fantastic. You're so articulate and right on. Everything you said was just absolutely accurate and and so inspiring you're very inspiring how you have gotten involved in, and done such a great job been a mighty force do you have anything else you want to share with us before you go uh, you can find me on education manifesto at substack you can find me at twitter at i am lisa logan um, and on my youtube channel parents of patriots fantastic i didn't even know you had a youtube channel that i'm so glad you told us that. Would you just repeat that so the people needing to write that down can make sure they got it right? YouTube, uh, Parents of Patriots. Parents of Patriots. Yes. Perfect name. Parents of Patriots. Okay. Twitter, uh, at I am Lisa Logan. And also on Substack at Education Manifesto. Fantastic. 
Well, that is awesome. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a true Liberty mom. You've been fantastic. I know you have another engagement that you need to get to, and I really appreciate you being on with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome back. This is the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our communities and our homes and families. We're so happy to have you join us. I am your host today, Delaine England, and I was just wanting to bring up an issue that I think is is really quite relevant for today because we sometimes think that we suffer and we go through some hard times, but I wonder if we really understand what true sacrifice is. And I think we can learn great lessons of sacrifice from his story, from his story, from history. And when I look back on the founding fathers and founding mothers, I am so impressed with their ability and willingness to truly make sacrifices. So as you may or may not know, Drinking tea was more than a pastime of the English, of excuse me, of the colonists, of the English as well, which is where they got it from. All through the, the English were very much pastime, huge pastime was drinking tea and having tea parties, and, and they drink tea in the morning and the evening throughout the day. It was a very important part. They did love their tea. The colonists being mostly from many people from England, and it became very much an American tradition as well. The English tea was very, very important to them, and they loved it. And what the king was not happy with the colonists because they were not conforming to his every wish and doing everything that, that he wanted them to. And so one of his ways of pushing back was through this Tea Act, the Tea Act of 1773. And it was designed to get the colonists to conform and to raise money to pay for the king's wars and the british government actually granted this company the the tea company a monopoly on the importation and sale of tea in the colonies and then added this huge tax on and so because they knew that the colonists loved their tea this is one of their favorites so i want you to think about in modern times and how you can relate to this Think of your very favorite thing that you like to drink or eat, your very, very favorite food, something that you really enjoy doing, especially on a daily or regular basis. And imagine if the, the tax on it just became so, just very high. Now, it might be that you were forced to stop consuming it because it became prohibitive by the cost of it because the tax is so high. And it might be just taxed where it's uncomfortable, but not prohibitive. And would you be willing to give that up to make a statement to tell your government, your king or your government, that you were not going to conform, you were not going to comply, and that you did you were not going to be controlled or manipulated in that way, and even through the tax. And so... What would you be willing to do to give up? What, what are we willing to give up? What sacrifices are we willing to make? These women of the colonies, they found that they wanted to make a statement. They said, we do not want to be controlled by the king, and we do not want to pay this tax 
because we feel like it is designed to control us. And so they got together and decided to quit drinking their very favorite tea, their very favorite thing to consume. They made out little flyers and pamphlets and they took it around and they distributed it around to their neighbors and around the different villages and townships. And they enrolled other women in coming along as well in giving this up. They wanted to not just make a statement, which they did want to do. They also wanted to have, make an impact by not buying the tea where the tax would not be raised and the king would realize that you cannot tax us into submission. And so they, they were actually extremely effective and they banded together, they came together and they worked with each other and they did stop consuming the English tea, uh, which was their favorite. And I think it's really important to note that it was their favorite. This is why it was such a great sacrifice and why it was also noticed and recognized because they worked together and they did it together. And I think that if we want the same thing to happen, if we want to let our government know that we're not willing to be controlled, what sacrifices are we willing to make? If we sit back and say, I'll let someone else do it, or I'm too busy raising my family, which we all are, we are all too busy raising our family to get involved because that is our most important thing. And please, please know that that is the most important thing. And if you really don't have time, I there's no condemnation, no judgments, but it is our duty. It is our job to get involved, to get informed, find out what is happening and find out ways that we can make small sacrifices so that we can stand for our freedom and liberty. One of the things that I would like to invite everyone to is taking a constitution class, learning more about the constitution. And I think that is a way that something that you can actually do and in supporting your family and being part of your family, because it is something you can do as a family. There are so many different places to take constitution classes nowadays that you can go and, and um, go to a class and take a class in several places. You can also take a lot of online classes. So you, that is something you can do for a family event. You can take an hour once a week and take a class. I highly recommend it because I think it's amazing if you do how much it will change your family and how it will bring your family together and help everyone understand not only what their rights are, but what their duties are in order to preserve and now to restore those rights. Because I think if you're not sound asleep, you can maybe be aware that we have lost or we have a lot of our rights that are being have already been taken from us that are God-given rights and that they're being literally trampled. And our Constitution is not being adhered to and what we can do about it. First, we need to know how we keep the rule of law. We don't cause a revolt. We don't go out and light the town on fire. That isn't going to be an effective way. We don't create chaos. We don't create absolute mayhem. That is actually what the powers that be are trying to do right now. They, you notice, defund the police, but then they want to increase the IRS so that there is a policing, gun-toting IRS agents that will enforce the law, but they want to defund the police that keep peace. And I want to ask you, there is only one thing worse than tyranny. One thing worse than being controlled by your masters. What is that one thing? It is chaos. It is anarchy. 
Whenever people live under anarchy, they find there is one thing that there's nothing worse than that, and they're very happy to submit to tyranny. If tyranny will stop the mayhem, stop the chaos, stop the craziness. And I think if you look, you might be able to notice that there is a movement or a push to bring us to anarchy. And the purpose of that is to be able to bring in control, to bring in tyranny, and, and that we will welcome it, that we will be willing and happily, we won't fight it and resist it because we will be glad to have tyranny rule and control us because that is so much better than having total chaos. I want to invite you to an event coming up. As we celebrate Independence Day on July 4th, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence and the independence of our nation from England, I invite you to also celebrate Constitution Day. If you don't know when that is, it's September 17th. It was originally September 17, 1787, when the founders started to sign the, the Constitution. The framework to govern our country and to allow us to govern ourselves, but to do it by the rule of law. Our Constitution is absolutely amazing. It's the only Constitution in the world who's ever lasted for 235 years and still being adhered to and being being kept intact and although that can be argued whether it's kept intact at this point but we're still living under the constitution although i believe the native americans might take issue and i guess there are some people who are living under their constitution but as a as a world nation america's constitution has lasted 235 years longer than any other it's really quite amazing and it is an amazing constitution so there is an event called Freedom's Light Festival. It is on September 15th, 16th, and 17th. That's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And you have an opportunity to come and meet the founding fathers and the founding mothers of this great nation. We will have people such as the people that came over on the Mayflower and you learn all about from them what the journey was like and what it was like to be on the Mayflower. We will have people like George Washington, who shares his stories and accomplishments firsthand. Thomas Jefferson, Henry Knox, John Adams. We also have many of the founding mothers. So in addition to Abigail Adams, if you are not familiar with um, Catherine Goddard, Mary Catherine Goddard, amazing woman, um, absolutely amazing woman for her time or any other. And she ended up becoming the, the owner of a newspaper and a printing press. And she was the first woman to print an engrossed copy of the Declaration of Independence. And you get to hear from her own words and her own mouth what it was like and what she did and her accomplishments. You get to hear from Mercy Otis Warren. You get to hear hear from Sybil Ludington, who was one of the minute women of the day at 19 years old, and hear her amazing story from herself. And many, many other founding mothers and founding fathers. You also get to learn about the principles of the Constitution through experience. We're going to have games and activities and things where you get to actually go through these things to help you understand and learn these principles. So it's very family friendly. There are things designed for every age. 
So it is something that is appropriate and and right on for teenagers, for even children, even in elementary school, definitely adults. So there is something for everyone. There are 40 different activities happening. So you just go from one thing to the next, none of them lasting more than 15 minutes. So you never have a chance to get bored. You're just constantly moving from one to the, another so that you can um, get to know more of the people. And we love having some of the people that maybe you're not familiar with. We're having Lafayette, Marquet de Lafayette, this year for our first time. We're very excited about it. And that presenter is just phenomenal. We also have Robert Morris, who financed the, the war, who was friends with George Washington and financed the Revolutionary War. And I just know that you're going to have an amazing time. You'll find it very, very interesting. There is so much to do and so much to learn. And you get to understand about these amazing people and and what they did. And you get to learn in context, which really helps. They were far from perfect. They were not perfect people, but they were amazing people. And they did amazing things. And they were willing to make such amazing sacrifices for not only themselves and their own children. When you sacrifice your life, you don't really do it for yourself. You sacrifice your life for other people so that other people can can experience and enjoy the blessings of liberty. And we we are so blessed in this nation. We are so blessed to have to live in this nation and to have the rights and the opportunities that we have. And I see so many people not really appreciating them and not because they don't know and they don't understand. We're going to have a 1776 march, which will be very fun to participate in. And I want to just ask you a few questions, if you may or may not know. We will have Joan of Arc there. But I want to ask you, so Joan of Arc, now, if, if you don't know, she is a French girl. She fought as a French young girl. She led the French army in a revolution I get to keep to keep England from taking over France. So I want to ask you, how is Joan of Arc connected to America? Why would Joan of Arc be at a, an American celebration to celebrate America? Do you know how many people died on the Mayflower on their journey over to America? If you want to find the answer to that, come to Freedom's Light Festival. Do you know what form of government America was initially founded in? And what form of government Governor Bradford of Plymouth, what he changed, what form of, uh, form of government he changed our country to, what he instituted? Do you know why Washington, George Washington, at the age of 17, became a surveyor? Why that became an, an absolutely invaluable piece of his history to support him in being such a great military leader. How are those connected? And he would have been, had no idea at the age of 17 that that would become an important part of his life and his success. You know how Henry Knox moved 59 pieces of artillery to drive the British out of Boston, how he did that in the dead of winter, and why that became such an important piece of history of that actual time of their lives, of the Revolutionary War, and how that served George Washington. Do you know who Lafayette was inspired by to fight with the Americans against England 
Who was it that inspired him to do that? Do you know what Robert Morris did to help win the revolutionary without firing a single bullet? Do you know how many years Benjamin Franklin, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, as we call him, attended formal education? And if you don't know who Phyllis Wheatley is, she was born into slavery. She was sold by her fellow men in Africa, and she was sold into slavery at seven years old, and she was adopted or purchased, really, she was purchased by the Wheatley family, but because she was so young and small, they kind of really adopted her, and she became a great poet. But do you know how many men had to testify in court on her behalf to convince the judge that she had indeed written those poems? You know what happened to Elizabeth Freeman, also born a slave, sued for her freedom. Do you know her story and what happened? Do you know what precious belongings Abigail Adams used to make musket balls for the soldiers to help them? Do you know what Lydia Dara did, who was a pacifist, didn't believe in fighting on either side of the war, what she did to help the war effort? These are just some of the questions that you will find the answers to at Freedom's Light Festival. The website is freedomslight.us. You can go on there for the schedule and for more information. You can also email freedomslightevent at gmail.com if you have any questions or the email address is on the website and so is the phone number that you can contact for more information. Also, I wanted to share with you on Friday night, it is going to be a party night. We're going to have a wonderful play, a musical, that is put on by Rich and Laurie Brown. And it is so good. It's called Give Me Liberty. And it is inspiring, heartwarming. You will laugh. You will cry. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, then we will also hear from two speakers that are coming from out of town. Jeff Udich, who is coming and I'm sorry, I'm probably not going to get this right. I believe Jeff is coming from Arizona and Larry Reed, who is coming from out of, out of state as well. Forgive me, Larry, because I don't want to get it wrong. And I want to say Philadelphia, but it's not. But anyway, they are going to be speaking. Great Liberty Lovers, 20 minutes each. You will be, you'll love it. You'll be inspired, uplifted, and learn something. You'll really enjoy it. Then we're going to have a live band. And it, they are so much fun. They're kind of a cross between Endless Summer and the, the Rockies. And there are members from both bands that are coming together. Uh, the, the members of the Rockies are kind of younger members of the band of Endless Summer. They're going to play great, fun, upbeat, happy Americana music. Super fun. You can dance to it and just have a great time. So it's a party atmosphere, after which we will dance, and then we will also have a colonial dance with a caller with some instructions. So if you don't know how to do colonial dancing, no worries. Come and dance with us. It's going to be so much fun. So that is Friday. Saturday, we will have the... Play will be at 11 and 1. That give, the Give Me Liberty musical will be at 11 and 1. And we also have the Sons of the American Revolution. We have 
patriots that will soldier camps that will be there to show and demonstrate what the soldiers live like and what they did. Uh, there are just, like I said, there are so many, so many different, over 40 different booths and things. We'll have things for sale. There'll be food, we'll have food trucks. We also have, uh, have hot dogs, hamburgers, scones, Navajo tacos. They are absolutely delicious. Salads, yogurt, chips, drinks. We have a great assortment of food. There will be candy, cotton candy. There is going to be snow cone. Um, and there will be other food trucks. So there's going to be plenty of food, plenty of things happening. There's going to be singing. So you can get on learning some new songs that are just amazing. If you want to memorize the Declaration of Independence, we will have the music there to the Declaration of Independence that my wonderful friend wrote. It is incredible. And what an easy way to memorize the Declaration is through music. And so, again, the website is freedomslight.us. And the dates are September 15th. 16th and 17th and I invite all of you to come it is a free event it doesn't cost anything on Thursday and Friday during the day schools come so let your if you're a school teacher bring your class if you're you have kids in school let the teachers know that this is a free event and they can schedule and come and bring their kids and we will absolutely so teach them everything that they want to know it does it does comply to all of the federal law that requires that every school receiving any public funds must teach about the Constitution on this week. So it fills all those those laws and fills all that. It complies with that completely. And so that's an easy way for teachers. They don't have to find curriculum or do anything. They just schedule a way to get your students there and come and we will greet you and take you around. And you're, it's all about freedom. So your, your students are able to go around to the different booths that they like to and it takes about four hours so give yourself a little time to do as much or as little as you'd like to that you're all invited it doesn't cost anything and we are just I want to put a shout out to all of our amazing volunteers they are just incredible we have Professor Gov Allen who portrays Isaiah Thomas he has a printing press that he made it is an exact replica literally exact replica of Isaiah Thomas's printing press that he used to print the first copy of the Declaration of Independence before it was even signed. And he not only gets, you get to see it, but he allows you to use it. So you get to do hands-on, you get to blot the ink and, and print, uh, you can print the Declaration or the Constitution or a wanted notice for yourself. So you actually get to hands-on. There's going to be a Cooper there, you can see what it was like to live in colonial times and to make a bucket without any nails and without glue and make a bucket that is completely watertight and carries water. You can make a candle at the chandlery. You can see what it was like to, to live as a colonist and make candles and what, what it's like and actually make a candle if you want to. They're just a dollar a piece. You can see the blacksmith. You get to see a wood carver carving things. So there are all these different amazing volunteers. No one is paid. Everyone is a volunteer, and there are just so many amazing people. Come and learn why it was so important um, for George Washington. Being at 14, his father passed away. He became the head of the household. And 
he really had always wanted to go off with his cousin and run off and go to this, off to sea and, and play and just adventure. And you can imagine how disappointing he was not, he wasn't, he could have done it, but he chose not to do it because he felt he must do what he needed to do rather than what he wanted to do. And that is really what sacrifice, personal sacrifice was about. I will do what I ought to do rather than what I want to do. And he did, and he stayed and became a surveyor. And you will get to find out why being a surveyor at 17 years old had such an impact on his ability to become the general of the Continental Army and how that tied in and how that can affect you. And I just want you to remember, our time is up, but I want you to remember that you are the guardian of your liberty. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much.